You know, when you like go to a doctor's office and they ask you like, have you ever had any surgeries? And they ask the date and it's like, how many people remember when they got their appendix removed? Like, come on, doctor. Well, when I had surgery to have a tumor removed from my right leg, um, every time I answer that question, I know because it was September 11th, 2001. I have a vivid memory of the doctor having a conversation with the nurses about should we proceed because of things that are happening in New York. They ended up proceeding forward with my surgery. I woke up and there was no such thing as the Twin Towers. 22 years ago today, on September 11th, 2001, our country was punched in the mouth by terrorists, forever changing our way of life as we knew it. Few people remember what they were doing on September 10th, but everyone remembers what they were doing on September 11th. Remember not just the chronology of events that happened that day, but remember the indescribable sense of national unity and the genuine care for one another that we all shared on September 12th. As someone who grew up in that area, September 12th was a day to appreciate everything in our lives, to appreciate our families and our loved ones, and to never take anything for granted. It was a day of reflection. For others, however, it was a call to action. The following is a conversation with Rich DeRose, a U.S. Army veteran who served overseas in Iraq, who answered this call. A call which is, in my opinion, in many ways, a call to adventure. You might not consider military service as an adventure in the traditional sense, but I do believe it checks all the boxes. This episode is dedicated to the thousands of men and women who lost their lives on this day 22 years ago, and to the countless service members who made the ultimate sacrifice in pursuit of our freedom. You are not forgotten. You know, it, it's funny. For me, growing up, I was always infatuated with the military. My grandfathers were in the military. Um, my uncle, who I never met, died in Vietnam. But when I was extremely young, kindergarten, first grade, my parents got a call from my school because we had to write in a journal what we wanted to be when we grow up. And, you know, 99% of the class, they either want to be president of the United States, uh, you know, they want to be a doctor, they want to be a lawyer. Um, I had been watching the news with my dad the night prior, and you know, I barely could write, but essentially the teacher made out that I said I wanted to uh, bomb Saddam Hussein, um, and it was during the initial invasion, and and my parents, that stuck with them forever. Through high school, um, I was good student, um, didn't really think about the military at all until my senior year, went to my parents and said, I'm going to join the army. And they were like, no, you're not. And I said, all right, I'm going to join the Marine Corps. And they said, I, I don't know, go to college. And I said, I don't think I really want to go to college. And they said, you did really well on your SATs. You know, you have really good grades. Just go to college. And so for me, I said, all right, fine. I'll give college a try. And if I don't like it, I'll join the military. Well, I went off to college. Um, and I guess it was my going into my sophomore year. I was in a class and we were debating the war in Iraq was going on um, and we were debating a whole host of things. And I was very passionate about just supporting the military. And one of the girls in the class said, well, if, if you really care that much, why aren't you in the military? And I, I literally that day, I Googled a recruiter's office. Um, but then I was torn. I said to myself, I really want to go into the military. She's right. Why don't I do this? And it's something that's always been passionate, but I also knew I had other goals in life. And I also knew that I, I enjoyed college. 
And at that point, you know, you're starting to get older and I was conflicted. So I actually uh, sat down and spoke with some some military people and they kind of pushed me in the direction of the National Guard. And so that's what I did. I literally left, dropped out of school um, and by October, so that was, you know, yeah, so by October, I was uh, fully enlisted and uh, heading off to basic training. Uh, I joined the infantry and I was shipping off to uh, Fort Benning, Georgia. And, you know, from there, it's been a, a real whirlwind. Um, basic training, infantry school, uh, I loved every second of it. Um, and uh, so after all of my training and things like that, I came home and I went to went back to college. Um, and so I'm back in college. I'm in the National Guard. I'm loving every second of it. It's giving me the opportunity to pursue goals that I had in life, but also everything about the military that I loved and wanted to be a part of. Um, college was going great. And all of a sudden, you know, as a lot of people know, you know, the war in Iraq and Afghanistan were going on. And this is in about 06, 07. Um, and they said, all right, you guys are heading out. And uh, so about the end of 2007 is when we got our official paperwork. And uh, I left Rutgers University and uh, my unit started to train full time down at Fort Bliss, Texas. And uh, we shipped off to Kuwait. And uh, the interesting part for me is and where the real adventure began uh, there I am, a National Guardsman. I'm infantry. You know, we were in a very, uh, a very high-speed unit. Everything was great, but they're like, "Oh, change of plans. Uh, you and the three other guys that that you're a team, you guys are getting attached to a special forces unit." We're like, "Wow, <laughs> this is cool, but also, uh, am I really ready for this?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a foreboding where you're like, "Oh man, like I, I always wanted it, but I don't actually know if I'm, I'm up for the task." Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like, that's the pinnacle. Uh, that's really the pinnacle. And I, I joke around with people that don't know the military or, you know, here I am an infantry national guardsman, and now I'm being attached to a special forces unit. And at that, at that time I was going to the 10th special forces. These are the best of the best that America has to offer. And, uh, I, I explain it best to people that don't know anything about the military. That was essentially a college pitcher. And the New York Yankees called me up because they were in the World Series and they needed me to pitch. So that that's kind of like what happened. You know, you're going I'm going from this just infantry unit to, hey, you're going to be joining a special forces team. Um, so I was not special forces. I was attached to a special forces team. And uh, it, it was uh, an experience I'll never forget. And to, to your point earlier, that that's really where the adventure began. Right. So once you once you were a part of this team. Was what was kind of the next direction in terms of um, like the preparation or what, what like did they throw you into certain missions or like what was kind of the what was like the game plan once you found out this new assignment? So uh, we're we're getting ready and we're getting ready to go into actual Iraq our our entire unit and we just started training differently after hours. Um, I was very fortunate that my team. Although we were a National Guard team, I was actually the only person that had no combat experience yet. I was a part of a four, well, four of us plus our sergeant. Um, they had all either been in Iraq and Afghanistan. They came from the 82nd Airborne, the 3rd Infantry Division, scout snipers. I mean, these guys were all high speed and then me. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we just started training up and preparing mentally and physically our, ourselves. Um 
and they really focused on me, really helped me get up, get up to speed on, you know, culture, what they do, how they operate, operational tempo and stuff like that. And then honestly, though, once I got to Iraq, we left, we, we went, got to Balad, uh, which is one of the big air bases there. And then uh, we left all these guys I've trained with for so many years and met our uh, new family for the year. Uh, well, actually, it was going to be six months with the, the 10th team. And then we actually uh, got paired back up with uh, another special forces team. Um, so about nine months, give or take 10 months overseas in country. But uh, every day was learning for me because, I mean, we're talking the best of the best and then me. <laughs> I was also the youngest. So I'm the youngest, the lowest ranking, the least amount of experience, and thrown into a whole new world. Oh, and by the way, it's a war zone. So uh, yeah, that's really that was the direction that started with me. That's crazy. And would you say, like, of of all the things you learned during that training, were there any takeaways or or like, was there anything you took away from a leadership standpoint that you think being the the guy, the lowest guy on the totem pole, when you're working day in day out? training nonstop like was there anything that you realized that like some of these because like you're saying it's the New York Yankees metaphorically speaking so <laughs> like was there anything that you looked and you're like wow that guy really knows how to lead a team or how to command and like that's something that I think could really help me in all facets of my life not just this one particular mission but the way that he you know exudes confidence or the way that he presents himself and and takes hold of his battalion or, or whatever it was like is that were there were there differentiating factors between the different people that were on in this unit that you thought you learned from absolutely because honestly it's interesting that you asked me that because it's two things first and foremost the ones that didn't try were the strongest leaders um, they weren't trying to lead they just were leaders and I firmly believe that leadership after seeing what I experienced I firmly believe that leadership is really 70% natural and 30% you fine-tune. And there were other folks that were leaders, but maybe they were not the most natural-born leaders. And those guys seemed to have to try harder. And the guys that tried harder seemed to not have as much leader true leadership skills as the guys that were very natural with it. So that stuck out to me immediately. And then also one of the biggest things for me is going into this special forces team and being the lowest ranking guy, but I also had ideas. I also, you know, just because I was the lowest ranking guy, I had life experiences, I had ideas and things. And the real leaders wanted to hear from everybody and they really cared to listen to what you had to say. Um, and that's something I got out of the special forces leadership guys compared to more conventional military where it's super strict rank structure, things like that. Um, the really strong special forces leaders, they really wanted to hear from everybody and they really, they genuinely cared about what you brought to the table. Sure. And it, it's something that I think when we were working together in the civilian world that, um, it, it's, it's a common trait as well, where it's like. If you want to be a good manager, you want to be a good person in in a in that kind of role. You lead yourself by leading your team. You don't lead yourself Absolutely. by leading yourself, right? One hundred percent. Yeah. 
so let's go back to Iraq. So we're there. Uh, you're, you're training, you're doing all this um, hard work with everyone, with these exceptional individuals. Did the expectations match the reality from when you were growing up and you, you always had this desire to go and you wanted to prove that girl wrong in your class and you're finally there and you're working with this elite team? Did you, did, what, was there a moment where you're like, wow, like I, maybe I'm in too far or was there some kind of realization or some kind of uh, coming to being when you were actually there that compares with what you expected going in? So yes and no. Yes, looking back on it, no, uh, while I was there. And the reason why I say that is I do, I do vividly remember a situation where I thought maybe I am in over my head. And I, I had a great conversation because I actually went to him because you know, one of the things I've always prided myself on is not being a know-it-all and, and asking questions. You know, I come from a mother that, that was a devout teacher and, you know, she always said, you know, ask, ask questions and, and you'll learn faster. Um, and I went to him and his answer was kind of what, you, what you'd expect from this big burly dude that's been in combat a million times. And he just said, we don't have time for this. All that matters is the guys around you. And if you start doubting yourself now, you're putting other people at risk. You're here for the task, get the task done. And honestly, I turned it off. And so looking back on it now, there were plenty of times where I was like, oh man, what am I doing here? <laughs> um, I think to your question too about growing up and being in the military, one of the things that sticks out to me, and I think this is like the real nerd in me, um, I did have this one realization that still sticks with me today is here I am, I'm overseas, I'm in a war zone, we're in Iraq, um, I operated uh, you know, outside of Baghdad for the most part, um, but we traveled around a bunch. But I'll never forget, we were sitting on the side of the Tigris River and I'm like, had this realization like, wait, I'm in like the cradle of civilization. This is Mesopotamia. Like this is history started here and i remember just completely like nerding out about it and completely shutting down about the 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 war that's going on around us but i do vividly remember that that it was just like truly taking it all in and it, it's interesting when you reached out to me about talking about adventures um and i know you've had some rock stars on on, on the show I remember thinking, yeah, but like how many people have actually like been to Mesopotamia? I mean, you're not vacationing there, but you know, so that that's an adventure to really think about. Um, and I, I, I do reflect on, you know, military experience and, and, and wars bring good and bad memories to you. And I'm sure we'll talk more about mental health, but, uh, you know, that's one of the, like the, the memories I, I just have so vivid in my brain of a good time was just thinking like, wow, I know this is really nerdy, but like I'm in Mesopotamia right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I do vividly remember that. D despite being in the war zone, did did you notice in at those sites or like at some of these places that were tens of thousands of years old, did they have any kind of like preservation or was it, was it kind of just like people just treated it like a landfill? So in my personal experience where I was, um, I lived on a combat outpost um, so we did not live on an actual base, which was very different, a very different experience for military people. Um, so I was on a combat outpost where we were immediate was, um, 
formerly a, a pretty wealthy area. So it wasn't the ruins that you hear about and things like that. It, it was a lot of big homes, like really big homes <laughs> that I was jealous of. Um, and, and, and it was more of like a city structure. So I personally didn't experience a lot of that. Um, but I, I did notice that there were times where it's just like, I wanted to share my nerdiness with people and like nobody really wanted to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> so two quick questions. How old were you in 2001? So are you going towards September 11th? Yeah. Like what was, did that have, I'm assuming that it impacted all of us. So I'm assuming that had a, a part. So yeah. So I don't share it too often, but it had an absolute profound impact on my life and also why I wanted to be in the military. Um, everybody knows or says they know where they were on September 11th. It is burned in my memory completely. And I always joke around by starting off, you know, when you like go to a doctor's office and they ask you like, have you ever had any surgeries? And they ask the date and it's like, how many people remember when they got their appendix removed? Like, come on, doctor. Well, when I had surgery to have a tumor removed from my right leg, um, every time I answer that question, I know because it was September 11th, 2001. And the only reason why my dad, uh, uh, he was a commodities broker. The only reason why he wasn't down there in Manhattan in one of the buildings um, was because he was at my surgery. Um, and it was up in North Jersey where, where I grew up. And I just have the most vivid memories because there I am. I'm home from school because I'm having surgery on my ankle. And it was a benign tumor. Um, but I'm having surgery on my ankle and, and my parents take me. And while I'm in the prep room, uh, Z100 was playing, which is a, is a big radio show. And and I remember commotion. Like I remember commotion that people were talking about a plane and, and, you know, but I'm getting carted around and we're doing things. And then I have a vivid memory of the doctor having a conversation with the nurses about should we proceed because of things that are happening in New York. Um, they ended up proceeding forward with my surgery. I woke up and there was no such thing as the Twin Towers. And I come home, my parents bring me, I have a cast up to my thigh and they just plop me on the couch. And uh, I just vividly remember, you know, watching on repeat the towers falling. And while other kids were still at school and stuff, I'm just watching the towers fall. I'm watching people jump to their death. They were playing it on every station. And, and I just, I'll never forget the feeling because everyone in my family and our friends and our neighbors knew my dad worked in lower Manhattan. So these people over the next few days would be calling me up or calling our house. And when I answered, it's like, Oh no, why is rich home from school? Um, and it almost got to the point where I was just like, so numb to it. I would just say, Oh dad, like someone, so wants to talk to you and people would be relieved. And I remember hearing the relief. It absolutely had an impact on me. I carried a piece of tower one steel with me in my body armor. Uh, the no entire time I was in Iraq. Uh, wow. yeah, it was about, few inch piece of steel that was that was gifted to me um and yeah it, it went on every time i left that combat outpost it was it was with me um so it, it absolutely had a profound impact on my decision to join the military and and yeah and why i'm proud of this country yeah it it was a time in our history where people truly came together and i think that sense of union I really hope we don't ever lose it. I know de yeah. de depending on the political climates of, you know, throughout the years, it's been 
up and down, but I really hope that that's the one thing that we keep. You know, I I agree completely, and and I I recently said this, and it gained some traction amongst people we were discussing, and and it brings some negative connotation, but but a lot of positive connotation. And I remember on nine eleven, and so many people say never forget. So many people want to remember the day, but to me, and to what you just said, to me, nine eleven is not a date. Nine eleven is is a culture of what followed, and we can debate the war we could debate all of that and and i'm open to things to, to discussing that um but there's no denying the love everybody had for each other we stopped the politics we stopped everybody came together and everybody was willing to be there for the other person and and to your point post 9/11 that culture of unity is something that that we should never forget Right, and it's also it's almost like we shouldn't forget September twelfth. Absolutely, that's the day. That's a good point. You know what I mean? That's the day when people realize like we need to put all of this stuff out and Absolutely. come together. Absolutely. I also grew up in North Jersey, so I know there were a lot of my friends whose parents were either there and weren't as fortunate, or had that survivor's guilt. And survivor's guilt, in particular, I know is a very common thing that a lot of military individuals have to deal with. So before that, let's go back to Iraq. Sometimes the the idea that many people have of the military is is poorly portrayed in the sense that like they don't care, they they just want to go in and kick down doors and and whatever. But a big part of the military is working with the individuals in that country and helping them develop their infrastructure from within and and kind of acting as a resource to help them get on their own. So when you went to Iraq, what was what was like the overarching goal that um, your team tried to tried to do? Was it more tactical and combat oriented, or was it more um, infrastructure related, or was it a little bit of both or neither? So, I kind of I kind of laugh when you say your team because let me tell you. I was reminded often I was this <laughs> on the totem pole. Um, but no, a, as a whole, um, we were not very – I mean, listen, they're the special forces and people know about special forces and stuff like that. Um, and that that's what I was a part of. We were a part of that 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 group. Um, we, we did stuff that, you know, what you portray, combat and things like that. But no, we, we worked with the local population a lot. Um, which was just an unbelievable experience for me. We really helped try to stabilize specific regions, and we were constantly in the community um, and you know working with the Iraqi military directly hand in hand and and things like that. So um, it was a very different experience than I expected in a lot of a lot of good ways. You know, again, when you ask about like growing up and like when I got there and, and my expectations, you know, when you think special forces, you think these guys are just like, like Rambo. The, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just yeah, think yeah. Rambo. And, and the, the, the men that I served with in those special forces teams were just unbelievable. And I learned so much from them. But what I also learned from them was there's a lot more than just combat that goes into a war. Sure. Um, 
so so yeah and and that also goes to like me not having a normal experience when I was overseas because a lot of my friends, you know, they wore uniforms every day and it was a very structured, you know, they were going out on patrols and, and, and those guys, you know, that's some of the scariest stuff you could think of going out on patrols and things like that. Um, and at first, honestly, I, to survivor's guilt, I, I did have a hard time grappling with like, Hey, my friends that I've trained with are, are going on patrols and, and, you know, they're in it, they're, they're, they're in the war. And here I am just dealing with like local people. Um, and that, I don't want to say bothered me, but it's not what I expected as a kid. I mean, I said, I wanted to bomb Saddam Hussein. Um, <laughs> and it, it wasn't what I expected as special forces getting attached to this prestigious team because, know it's the movies but looking back on it now my experiences and, and and what i did and and seeing how you know all the dots connect there are so many roles in war that people just either don't know about for certain reasons or just don't care about because they're not made for hollywood right um so yeah so so my role was was very different in that sense and yes we went on patrols yes we did we did other stuff like that um my job i joke around originally i was a driver and we didn't use reg well we had humvees like you see in the movies and stuff like that but we also had regular kind of cars and this is a true story uh we we were in these suvs and they were like hey rich you're driving and i'm like okay cool and i turned to my one buddy and i'm like hey uh it's been a long time since I've driven stick. And I looked in the SUV. There's no SUVs in America that are stick shift. Well, who would have assumed that? <laughs> and he's like, well, can you drive stick? And I'm like, yeah, I can drive stick. He's like, when's the last time you drove stick? I was like, I don't know, maybe like seven years ago, six years ago. And he's like, well, did you drive it a lot? I'm like, no, my buddy taught me on his Mustang, but like that's about <laughs> it. And so he took me literally, and we were on this little, little, little combat outpost. And, uh, <laughs> he's just having me drive in a straight line, make K turns, and I kept stalling and stalling. <laughs> Finally get the hang of it. We go out. It was not a combat operation, but anything's a combat operation when you're driving the streets of Baghdad and Iraq and the surrounding cities. Um, and we were going to a, a another military post. So I'm doing good on the highway, you know, like I changed and, and mind you, you're wearing full body armor, your rifle stuck between your legs. So it's not like normal stick shift either. It's a 89. I, I remember it, it was like really hot out, no air conditioning. And uh, I'm doing really well. And then all of a sudden we pull up to the gate and the gate opens. And, and a lot of times that's where like bad things can happen. Um, and this gate's like slowly opening and they're like waving us in. And I stalled out and I had like, <laughs> I just started panicking and I could not get the car to turn back on because I left it in gear and I didn't put it into neutral. Oh, and man. Everyone's screaming at me, all the trucks behind us because I'm the lead truck. Why they put the guy that didn't know how to drive stick as the lead truck. <laughs> Long story short, nothing happened, thank God. But uh, we got through the gate and let's just say I don't believe I drove again the entire <laughs> time I was overseas. Um but I was I was a machine gunner on top of a Humvee. That was one of my one of my roles. Um, you know, when you're with, there was about sixteen of us on this team, um, and, and uh, five of us from National Guard, and, and the rest were special special operators. Um, everyone wears a lot of hats, and that's another experience that 
that was invaluable to me and completely different to what I expected special forces was like, or just war in general. Um, cause we're on a combat outpost. So guess what? You join the infantry, but you're also a cook now too, because somebody's got to <laughs> make dinner. Um, so that, that definitely was very different for me. Sure. So with that being said, the one thing we got to realize is you're here right now. You're li- alive to tell the tale and talk about your experiences here with me. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are not as fortunate. Correct. There's so much that a lot of people can't comprehend by nature of them just not being in their shoes and not experiencing what they experience. And I think that's a big, that's a really hard mental obstacle to overcome when they come back to civilian life because they realize a lot of people just don't understand what they've gone through or don't appreciate or or there's a, a million different things. And that's why I think mental health is such a serious concern that needs to be addressed. But what what would you say in your experience or from the people that you've worked with is really one of the the biggest struggles for military veterans, whether it's mental or physical or otherwise? So I, I definitely think it's the the wounds that you can't see. It's the invisible, it's the mental health. And and what I mean by that is there are so many soldiers, sailors, marine, airmen um, around the country that people have no idea they're suffering. They're suffering in silence. And what I mean by that is, you know, you and I have known each other for years and people at our, at our company, friends, family, every, you know, for the most part, you know, I'm a happy-go-lucky, fun-loving guy, love to be the life of the party and things like that. And then when I'm having a conversation with somebody and, and mental illness comes up um, and talking about post-traumatic stress and, and things like and anxiety, they're like, well, come on, you don't have any of that. So it's that struggle, those folks that, you know, are trying to get help, but their wounds are, are, are not visible to others, you kind of don't have a support group and that's really hard. And that's where a lot of these military and veteran organizations that are trying to break the stigma come into play for, for veterans because, you know, this country tries to take care of their veterans. But one of the hardest things too, is that veteran needs to want help. You know, for me, I didn't start going to the VA till almost about 10 years after I got home from overseas and going, huh, that's not just random anxiety that I started getting, huh? Like it's not normal to only sleep two or three hours a night and still try to be a high functioning human being. Um, so, so that definitely, you know, and then also seeing your friends from around the country, because a lot of your veterans, a lot of the guys you serve with, you don't live next door to anymore. You know, and, and hearing about them suffering or, or them calling you and wanting help and things like that, you know, those are tough struggles for, for mental health because one thing that I believe and has been discussed to when you talk about mental health, the things that you don't necessarily prepare for, for when you go to war. And, uh, the one thing that stuck out to me and when I have this conversation with others, guys are like, oh, huh, huh, is when you go to war, and a lot of people don't realize this, you pretty much experience every type of human emotion, but at the highest high and the lowest low. 
And what I mean by that is everyone in this world has been scared before. But like when you go to war, you are going to experience, you know, the climax of what it is to be scared. What you go through with the guys to your left and right, that love, that bond, that brotherhood is at the highest high you could possibly think about. And then you come home and you you make new friends, but it, it, it's never that that high. Um, excitement. People are like, well, look at me crazy. Like, what do you mean excitement of war? But listen, like there are exciting times and there is that high of excitement is more than any high of an excitement of when you're home. And, and, and I'm not saying just like war and combat. I'm saying like excited to get a letter. I've never been excited to open an email from work or, or, <laughs> or my cousin or aunt I haven't talked to in a long time. But when I got that letter or that email from, from a cousin or an aunt overseas, I mean, the excitement about being able to read it and, and, you know, getting something. So it's just these emotions that are just like crazy high and, and the swings no one trains you or or prepares you for the 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 mental emotional swings you experience while you're overseas and while you're there you're not thinking about it but it's happening and then you come home and then all you can think about is what you hadn't thought about for your 6 <laughs> months 9 months a year uh whatever your your combat deployment was um so it's like you know just such an emotional emotional roller coaster because here's the other thing too that excitement the highest high of excitement. Well, let me tell you, war is also being over overseas. It's also, there are times where it's the most boring experience of your life. Ask a veteran you know about the games you played to pass times. Like how many times can you really play? I bet you I can throw that rock and hit that rock. I bet you I can get it closer. You know, like, so there's your extreme high of excitement to your extreme low of the most severe boredom you've ever had. So, cause you don't, I didn't have TVs hanging out. I didn't have, you know, the internet and going on Facebook and stuff like that. So it was like just an insane emotional roller coaster. Right, right. And that has a profound impact on an individual. It really does. The other thing too, is you can prepare for the physical aspect. You could prepare for the combat aspect. You can be the best communicator with the radio. You can be the best shot with your rifle. You could be the fastest guy. You could be the strongest guy. There's really not much that you can strengthen your, your, your mental mindset getting into there. Yes, you can read books. Yes, you can do it. And guys, you know, get in the quote zone. But once you're home, it's, uh, Everyone, I think, ends up having that profound realization of maybe this Whatever. isn't normal, what I'm feeling. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're, um, w when you're saying like it's, it's not, it's, it's hard to prepare or there's not much you can do to prepare mentally. I think that's why it's that much more important to make sure you have a good brotherhood and you have people that you can kind of open up to afterward because like everyone's going to go in the same meat grinder. It's just a matter of like how, how are you gonna the 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 variance here is on what you experience mentally, right? We're all experiencing more oh, yeah. or less the same physical demands, so how everyone's gonna have a different experience mentally. So being able to kind of connect on that, I think. So <clears throat> to that point, it's interesting you say that, and and I don't know the science behind any of what I'm about to say, but I know individuals that went through the exact same traumatic experience overseas and one both both have received help 
mental health from the VA, but one lives an awesome life and the other has struggled with addiction, has struggled with, with so many other issues that plague our veterans. The difference, in my opinion, of knowing these guys, one guy came home to a supportive family. He came home to a job that was waiting for him. And the other guy came home to a divorce, a loss of his job, things like that. And I think that, you know, that just compounds everything that you're mentally struggling with, because that's what it is. It's, it's a mental struggle trying to figure out and understand what you experienced, processing what you experienced. And at the end of the day, no matter what your experience was overseas too, because I also hate that mentality of like, unless you've been in combat and you were blown up, like shut up. Yeah. Well, there's, there's men and women that were on big bases that never experienced combat. But you know, think about the anxieties they went through of living in a war zone still and, and giving, leaving their family. I don't care what anybody says, you know, leaving your family and, and everything, you know, and all the comforts of, of modern life to, to, to go do your specific job and every job overseas is, is extremely important. You know, those people come home and struggle too. And it's recognizing how you changed as a human being because everybody changes after they go overseas. Right. And it's, um, now I don't know how this works with the VA, but are the counselors that they give you or like the, the people to, that you are allowed to talk with, are they people who have, who have been in the military be, by nature of it being the VA or are they people who are hired from say, um, just not in the military? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, in my personal experience, I can, I can really only touch on that it's both there are support groups run by the va and stuff like that where the the person that's running the support group or the or the larger counseling meeting they are military guys they can talk the talk they can walk the walk um my mental health counselor she is contracted by the va and she's she was never in the military doesn't have anybody in the military that and I mean, but she's a rock star, Julie. It's her name. I won't give last names, but uh, she's an absolute rock star and has helped me just an instrumental amount of time. Uh, it's just unbelievable how much she's helped me. Um, so, but yeah, she has no experience. But the one thing she can do is because she helps so many military people, she can talk the talk. Right, <laughs> right, know, right. Just because yeah, she yeah, didn't yeah. walk the walk, <laughs> um, she can absolutely talk the talk. <laughs> and I feel like because she deals with or, 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 or has so many, um, of these kinds of clients, like she under she can under, she can put their cell, herself in their shoes to understand aside from talking the talk, like she can actually kind of empathize with like what they've gone through. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and PTSD, you know, the other thing too, is it's got that, like everyone it's connected to service members and war and things like that. But there are people that go through terrible sexual traumas that go through, car accidents that go through other things in life that here in America that get post-traumatic stress. So these counselors, you know, they're a godsend, but yeah, one getting to the root of it and helping somebody through their post-traumatic stress, you know, it's great that they know how to talk the talk, but it's, 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 it's counseling. So right. they're, they're able to handle it. Yeah. Sure. Now, do you think when, when you were mentioning like when you're, when you're overseas and you're, and you're in the thick of it, that you have the highest highs and the lowest lows. Do you think that generally speaking, it's to, in order to come back 
to civilian life, it's better to kind of converge to a happy medium where you're trying to have some semblance of normalcy or, or do you think it's good to have other kind of high adrenaline related, um, out, like outlets for people? Cause I know it can go both ways and I know it's very individual oriented, but, um, it, in your experience, do you think it's more of like just trying to maintain a normal lifestyle or is it like, I need to, I just need something else that that'll, it's not going to be as exciting or as, you know, um, into the, into the thick of it, but it's something that at least I can, I can kind of go 110% balls to the wall trying to, trying to, uh, achieve or both, I guess. Yeah. Oh man. That's a great question actually. Um, <laughs> you know, for me, when I transitioned from the military, you know, so I got, I got home from Iraq and, um, my national guard unit got discharged back into civilian life. And for me, it was in the summer and I couldn't decide if I wanted to go back to college or not. And I didn't do much except want to chase some highs. And, uh, fortunately for me, that's not drug related. Um, other guys it was, but, you know, and I, I was very careless. Um, and there did come time, a point in time where I was like, I do need normalcy. And so I sat down with my mom and we were talking about, it. I'm like, all right, I'm going back to college and I'm going to finish my degree. I'm going to, I'm going to stay on track like I wanted to, but I think the transition really depends on the individual. But in my opinion, getting to normalcy first is very, very important, sure. very important. And then you can, you know, start to do those other things because I think that sense of adventure and I think that sense of adrenaline never leaves you um, as a veteran. And I've seen that happen in in my life since coming home. But it was very important for me to get back to baseline normalcy right. because normalcy, a normal normalcy overseas, no matter where you are, is just not normal. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And and I think I think everyone kind of needs that 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 transition period, like you're saying, like to, to just kind of relax and unwind and like, and, and process everything. And then you, you said it best, like you never, that never leaves you that sense of adventure, that adventurous spirit is always going to be, you know, the warrior spirit's always going to be within you. So like it's having that next mission or having that next, you know, outlet, it'll always be there. It's just, Get all your ducks in a row first before you you kind of get there. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So absolutely. You have done uh, one of your post transition uh, accomplishments has been a half Ironman. So tell us, yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. So yo, know, again, I really let myself go after the military, and I had gained a lot of weight and didn't do much physical activity at all, and then one day. I said to my wife, I was like, I, I need to do something. I need a sense of purpose. You know, I was working full time and works great, but you know, that I, I needed a sense of purpose. I needed something. So I said, I'm going to do a triathlon. And my wife's like, well, do you even know how to ride a bike? And I'm like, well, yes, I can ride a bike. She's like, do you know how to swim? And I'm like, of course I know how to swim. I go to the beach every summer with my family. And she's like, no, do you know how to swim, swim? And I'm like, I'll be fine. Um, so I signed up for a triathlon and did like basic training that I could find on, uh, the internet. I used like a beach cruiser bike and it was a really, really short one. <laughs> it was an extremely miserable experience 
but I also got hooked to it that I said, I need to accomplish something and this is what I want to do. So I actually hired a swim coach. Uh, I hired a triathlon coach, um, gentleman by the name of Nick Farr. He runs P3 fitness and he trains Ironman athletes all over the country. And, uh, cause again, I was like, if I'm in it, I'm in it. Just like when you train in the military, just think I'm in it. I'm going to accomplish this. So yeah. So in over, in about six months, I went from, I couldn't swim across a 25 meter pool because again, the doggy paddle doesn't cut it. (laughs) Um, I couldn't really ride a bike. I actually went to buy a triath, uh, a bike. And this is so embarrassing to say, and you know, I'm sure my friends are going to kick out of it when they hear this, but like, I actually was too heavy to buy a carbon fiber bike. (laughs) I really was. And the guy was pulling me aside at the bike shop and I'll never forget it. And he said, listen, guy, like you're going to crack this frame. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, but I need a really fast bike to make up for how slow I am. And I ended up buying a metal framed cyclocross bike. Nice. And he was like, train with this. And I started working hard and hard and hard. And again, I went from only being able about two miles. I couldn't run a quarter mile without like hacking up a lung. Um, and over six months, uh, I lost about 40 pounds, give or take. And uh, I completed the Atlantic City, New Jersey, uh, Ironman 70.3. And um, you know, and in between in that training, again, I went from not being able to swim across a lap pool to I've done five-mile open ocean swims. Uh, I would wake up. You know, It becomes a part-time job when you're training and trying to make up that much time. And, and even when you and I work together, like – my day started at three in the morning because I was like, oh, well, I got to get, you know, 65 miles in before work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I trained twice a day, every day for about six months. And uh, yeah, it was just an awesome experience. Yeah. And the triathlon community is amazing. I, you know, I laugh like when you're a big, when you're a big boy and you're uh, doing these triathlons, like, you know, they give you your own category, the Clydesdale. It's like guys that are over 220. <laughs> I always laughed. I'm like, it's a pretty tough name for like, oh, you guys are all overweight. But no, it's usually really stocky guys. But I remember having this realization when I went to my first real Olympic um, triathlon. And I'm showing up and I turned to my wife at check-in and I was like, I can't do this. And she's like, why? I'm like, every person's 140 pounds. <laughs> They're string beans or jacked and like, I'm too scared to take my shirt off in the parking lot. (laughs) And, uh, but no, you know, it's a lot of training and a lot of hard work and dedication, but you know, I'll be honest with you, what I loved about Ironman and what I loved about triathlons and training for them was I started to experience those real highs and those real lows though too, you know, and, and, uh, it helped with, with, my mental health. It really did because not only did you have a sense of purpose, you started to experience these excitements again. Um, but it, it really gave me direction and it gave me something to concentrate on that just wasn't work. Right. Um, and, and, uh, I absolutely loved it. And, and, uh, I still enjoy, uh, funny thing after all of that, uh, swimming has always been my favorite thing. Really? And yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I still enjoy biking, um, and, and running sometimes, but swimming, I just like absolutely love to swim now. And, uh, you know, I, I have this vivid memory of when I was swimming, uh, in this pool, this Olympic pool where I was training at. And, uh, this guy stops me and I'm in the swim lane at the end and he just goes, 
you swim pretty smooth for a big boy. <laughs> I'm like, is that a compliment? Like, I don't really know what you're talking about here, man, but thanks. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I just, I've always enjoyed swimming because uh, it was one of those distance swimming, not, not speed swimming, but um, it was one of those things that once you learn the technique and you really like indulge yourself, like on, you can really make up time and differences. Right. Like, so for me running great, I went from like, <laughs> every race I was able to bring down, you know, seconds on the bike. We're talking maybe a minute or two for, for me personally, we're like on the swim. When I first started swimming, it was like, took me forever to finish to that's where I was making up time. And like every race I was like, I just shaved another few minutes. I shaved another <laughs> few minutes. I shaved another few minutes. So that was exciting for me. But, uh, but yeah, no. Um, and, and the triathlon community is awesome. They, sure. It really is, and that was another thing that I I really liked about it. But uh, yeah, it was, it was it was crazy. You know, I again went from riding a beach cruiser to get ice cream <laughs> to uh, you know doing 110 miles on a Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I remember when when we were working, it was always like, oh, like Rich is in bright and early, and then someone's like, yeah, he just went for like a 50 mile ride. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I was showering at work. You, you start to lose. Uh, you it really is two full time jobs. So yeah, like, yeah. It, you you really have to start to blend the, the culture right. uh, in order to do things. Um, and it you know because I also had a wife that you know didn't appreciate that I was training that much. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> so you really learn to balance your time. But yeah, no the 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 Ironman seventy point three um, was just absolutely unbelievable. I destroyed my knees trying to train for it, but. Uh, <laughs> absolutely unbelievable experience and and i think physical fitness is one of those things that you can start to get those highs yeah i mean i mean they they say exercise when you it's one of the best ways of stress management like i I don't know what the the chemical that gets released but it's i know it it definitely objectively helps with stress management you know oh absolutely i got to imagine that like some of the the really awesome people that you've interviewed and stuff like that you know I, they'll be able to tell you better but you know that sense of adventure that that's in you it's yeah, in yeah. You. you don't just wake up one day and say i want like that that's in you forever yeah it really is and and i think it's important for people to have kind of that self-imposed hardship mm-hmm. whether it's whatever you know realm they they want they wish to pursue but i think it it is an important thing to it's really important for people to kind of go through that journey and and overcome those obstacles that come with any kind of adventure, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I I couldn't agree more too, because it's also the the nice thing about adventure too, and, and training and things like that. Because every every adventure somebody does, every every experience you, know, you lead up to it, you train for it, you, you start to prepare for it. Um, yeah. The one thing I said about the training for the Ironman was. At least my failures at that throughout all the six months and, 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 a, and a year when I trained for other stuff, those failures didn't actually impact my life right. because I wasn't getting fired from my job. I wasn't getting divorced. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a serious failure, but mentally it was for me and I was able to build from that. So you're able to experience things that truly make you a better person. But at the end of the day, to your point, it's self-imposed right. and uh, that makes a big difference. And it's very, it's, it's helpful to build as an individual, as a human being. Yeah. It, and it's, and it's important to be comfortable taking risks and you can only be comfortable once you've taken these or once, once you've gone through these kinds of like 
conflicts, whether they're mental or physical. Couldn't otherwise. agree more. Absolutely. So speaking of new directions, you're fast forward to today. Here we are. And you're taking a bit of a, um, a turn for uh, city council. Mm-hmm. So what was kind of the, uh, what was the spark that made you want to get involved there? And, and um, I, you know, you're starting with, I, I guess, a, a manageable mm-hmm. population yeah. and, and working your way up. So, yeah. So, I mean, listen, at, at my day-to-day job, I work with elected officials all, all over um, from, you know, mayor all the way on up, council member all the way on up. And uh, I've been in a unique position where I've sat back and seen this type of leadership in an elected official works. This type of leadership in an elected official doesn't work. Um, And and that's always kind of, I don't want to say bothered me, but I've always noticed that. Like you can tell a very good elected official versus a very bad elected official. Um, And... Listen, I have enough hobbies and <laughs> I work really hard at my day job. Um, but I was, I, I remember I told my wife, I'm thinking about running for office. And she's like, why? And I'm like, wow, I don't really like the way, you know, certain things are happening in town. And, you know, if we're going to start a family, like, and we're planting our roots, I want to see if I could make a difference. And she goes, don't do that. And I was like, okay. And then she came home. She had a bad experience uh, dealing with our town. She came home. She's like, all right, it's time for you to run. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, okay. Um, but for me, wanting to get involved, it's because I'm not the type of person that wants to sit back. And I feel like that's what so many folks do, but they don't have the the wherewithal to actually be able to step into politics um, or they don't have the experiences to be able to get them there. And for me, I, I, I had those. I work with elected officials all the time and um, – I have friends in in the industry and stuff too, where I was just like, you know what? I want to make a difference. And especially right now in the political culture that is America, and it's so divided and that permeates all the way down to the local level. And that's honestly why I decided to run Um, because I'm a very moderate person down the road. Um, But that's everything I've been campaigning on is just, you know, Politics shouldn't be at the local level, but unfortunately, nationally, it's so toxic on both sides that it just permeates all the way down. <laughs> right. um, and I wanted to see if I could actually make a difference because let's be honest, I, I mean, at the end of the day, your your local elected officials have much more impact on your day-to-day life than anybody else. And a lot of folks don't realize that. So you know, before I had children, um, before I gained another hobby, I was like, you know what, let me see if I actually have a chance at this. And it's been a... It's been an unreal experience, um, even at the local level. Um, there's a lot of highs and highs and a lot of lows. And lows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but no, it's 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 been an awesome experience, and it, it really is an adventure. It really is. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> but, what I mean. Adventure takes all forms. You yeah, know? Ab- so. yeah, exactly. It, it's uh, an adventure all of its own. Um, it's had a lot of peaks and valleys, and it's you know it's been a long long road, even at the local level, you know, you go through a primary and then, and then it kind of slows down. And then, and now, now during this recording, you know, we're only a few weeks out and it's yeah, been yeah. a, it's been a mad dash. Yeah. yeah it yeah. really has. <laughs> well, I, I don't, I don't know whether the recording will be out 
in time to get you some <laughs> votes, but uh, I do I do wish you the best on that. No, I I really I really appreciate that, and uh, um, we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Well, Rich, this is great. Thanks so much for coming on. You have a wealth of experience to share, and and I think we had a really good conversation. I'm glad we could talk about adventure in its fullest form and its most risky, most um, direct form in in military experience and mental health and all and and everything in between. So this is great. Yeah, so no, much. absolutely. I, I really appreciate you inviting me, and uh, you know, I I really I really liked the fact that you know you have this this ad- adventure uh, theme going, but you're right. And even before we started recording, when you said it, it really clicked like just only an hour ago when you were like, adventures have so many shapes and forms. And I was like, you're absolutely right. And I never even thought of that, but you're absolutely right. So I appreciate every second of it. Thank you. Of course, man. This is great. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much.